Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, listeners, to episode 71 of the... What do we talk? What do we call this thing again? It's called the Ad Nauseum Podcast. It's been a while since we've been in here. It has been a long time. Right. So episode 71 of the Ad Nauseum Podcast, which is, uh, we run this thing, don't we? We do, we yes. Do. It's something about classical gourmands. You eat something, you read something, you talk about something. Talk about something and what, eat something what's, again. I, talk about eating something. Yeah. What's been getting us down, Dr. Jeffrey T. Winkle? Well, I think it's a number of things. I, I, you know, for me, it's it's the, the, ter- the weather and the shortening of the days is part of it for me. Well, I have to correct you as yeah. is my want yeah the days are getting longer it doesn't now. feel like it though in the michigan it goes backwards everybody knows <laughs> yes this, you right? know superman goes back and sees his shadow yes exactly eight, right eight more weeks of winter <sighs> i know i know so since about the winter solstice mm-hmm. i guess that's december 21st Firth, yes. uh, from that point on it's a long stretch to smarch. It is a long stretch to smarch. Exactly. In which you still get that lousy smarch weather. That's right. And yeah. we've had a nearly polar vortex. We have. It's, it's been it's been frigid and, and cold. Yes. Both of us have been have been uh, fighting the flu. And well, not it, just the flu. But I don't know the the serious one. The too. serious flu. We right? both had some of that COVID. Right. And, uh, Boy. So, and it feels like it's been forever since we've been in here. It's been a long time. I would say about three weeks. Yeah. yeah. How long do you think the listener uh, wants to listen to us? <laughs> Go on and on like this. I think we should probably wrap it up and right. move on from there. Wrap yes. it up. Right. So, well, as, we're back. Is what we're saying. We are back. We're as back. always, I am Dr. Jeff Winkle. I'm here with my good friend, Dr. David Noe. And tonight we're talking Cicero. We are talking Cicero. This is right in your wheelhouse. Sir. Time for the big guy. This is my bailiwick. This is your bailiwick. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the, the wheelhouse. This is your sweet spot. You this might is say. my sweet spot. So you're going to bring it. It's up my alley. Yes. Excellent. I'm going to do what I can. All right. But before we do that, we have a shout out. We have a shout out and a long list of Cordragenda. Oh, no. Do we make all that many? We made so many mistakes, oh, no. especially me, but especially you. Especially me, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Shout out first. Yes. This one goes to a dear friend of mine, Mr. Bill Carson, who lives in Chesterfield, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've known Bill for uh, well over a decade. He is, I would have to say, um, up to this point, hitherto, an occasional listener of the podcast. Okay, okay. Now, you might be asking yourself, dear listener, dear viewer, why is an occasional listener getting a shout out? How did he earn that? That's what I'm thinking. Well, it's because of his long friendship and devotion. Ah. He especially liked the episode um, Growing Up Classical. Oh, yes, with your daughter. With my daughter. Yes. And he liked the episodes on Thermopylae. Oh, we did. Which, as everyone knows, is the origin of the brackish tang. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Excellent. Uh, so Bill is an ex-pharmacist. Okay. Yep. Tafarmakon, nice Greek word. Mm-hmm. And uh, was my Hebrew tutor for uh, more than a decade. Wow. So a he, very capable guy. He knows Hebrew and he was a pharmacist? He or? knows Hebrew. He knows yeah. Greek. He's studying Latin in his uh, retirement. Fabulous. Yes. This guy has been a tremendous blessing to me. Everyone in their life needs a Bill Carson. Really? Just a devoted friend. I really don't deserve him, let's be frank. Okay. All okay. right. <laughs> well, thanks, Bill, for, for listening, and thanks for being such a good friend to Dave. Yes. Who, yes. Needs, who needs them, right? Yeah. So we got to get to some uh, core agenda. We have to. There okay. are some things that must be corrected. What First we of all. Up? Is this just from the, our last episode? I think it's just from the last oh, episode. Man. First okay. of all, Elgar was a composer. Edward Elgar was a composer. Mm-hmm. But there is, in fact, a painter, and his name is George Elgar Hicks. Okay. So if anyone's listening closely, 
in the the last episode, right? Uh, someone, namely I, misidentified Elgar um, as a painter. I see. Okay. Not, not really the case. All right. All right. It's hard to keep your Elgars apart. It I've is. Always, I've always found that. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, how do we go? It's um, we need more Elgar room, something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a second quadrigendum, quadrigendum secundum, the right. second one, about minute 53 in the podcast. Well, it's really specific. It is specific. Are you sifting through these things? Like, course, I have to listen to them. Okay. We yeah. can't just release them into the wild, right. you know, undoctored, unvaccinated. All right. So what happened at, 50, yeah, at minute 53? Yeah. Dr. Noe, one of us at least, mm-hmm. misidentified Alpheus and Peneus as the rivers on the west pediment of the Parthenon. Ah, okay. No, no, no. These are Arcadian rivers. Okay. These are the rivers in Arcadia, in the Peloponnesus. Ah, okay. In fact, nobody knows for sure who the rivers are on the west pediment of the Parthenon. All right. One is maybe the river Elissos, and the other is unknown. Gotcha. We would have been better off just not even saying anything about it at all. Yes, yeah. I should have just, you know, kept quiet. I gotcha. Okay. Point. All right. Okay. Oh, and then, and then uh, we, we didn't we we speculate about uh, Lord Byron's line the, talking about the envious eld. Envious eld, and yeah. what is an eld? Yeah, right. So I looked it up, and, and I found out that it means old, basically. Okay, okay. elder, mm-hmm. right? It's a surname or a last name. Uh, it's from an old Norse word meaning flame, uh, but it comes to mean envious eld, envious old age. So okay. antiquity is the idea. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Lord gotcha. Byron. Turns a phrase, carves a pillar, and still busting our chops. What? Seriously? 200 years Plus, later. Seriously? Yeah, God, sheesh. Lay off, Byron. No kidding. Man. All right. Oh, my goodness. That's got to be the last of the No, comic. there's no, one we'll, more. We'll, there's one more. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, yeah. Someone else, one of us, and it wasn't you, a <laughs> uh, little process of elimination, misidentified some of the elements in the British Museum as yeah. being from the Sifnian treasury. And that is not That's correct. not the case. Okay. Nope. okay, okay. I was thinking of the frieze and the pediments of the Temple of Aegina. Okay, that's, a, that's it. It is in, in the, the British, British Museum, Museum right? but the Sifnian treasury, the little bit that remains, it's at Delphi. Is at Delphi. Yes. Why didn't you correct me at the time, Winkle? I, I was I was too distracted by my Elgars and my Elds. <laughs> yes, I wasn't paying attention. We also got some hate mail. Wait, what? Well, you didn't get any hate mail. You got some hate mail? I got some actual hate mail. Oh, man. I've gotten lots of nasty looks over the years. (laughs) I've got uh, hate email, shall we say. Yeah. This week I got some actual hate mail. Like physical mail. Yes, would you like to hear about it? I would like to. Okay, I'm going to hold it up to the camera here. You have it here with you. I brought it here with me because it's burning. It is a postcard. It's a postcard. It looks like a ransom note. It does. I, I think this is an act of grammatical terrorism. That's what it is. On the one side, it says, Dr. David Noe and my address. Mm-hmm. And then it has letters that are cut out as though from a magazine. Exactly. You know, like the Unabomber. It says, infinitives are verbs. With an exclamation mark. That's correct. And yeah. on the back, it has a picture of two ducks. <laughs> beneath one duck, it says juvenile. Yeah. And beneath the other duck, it says adult. Are you reading something into that? Yes. Really? <laughs> I am being told that I am like the juvenile yeah. duck. And you're being schooled by the and adult? it's time for me to grow up. <laughs> I am not exceeding egg expectations. Oh, man. So, some quack sent me this post... Some quack. Some, oh, I got you. I'm some quack going. sent me this grammatical postcard. What does this even mean? Why would, we, why would well, somebody be so upset about so this? So one of the hallmarks of my teaching as yeah. a Greek and Latin scholar is that one must pay very close attention to the parts of speech. That makes sense. And thank you. And yeah. I teach my students to memorize the names of the parts of speech in Greek and Latin. Mm-hmm. 
Almost every trouble you have puzzling through a passage can be resolved by looking closely at the part of speech. Gotcha. You have to know what the word can do. Yes. Have you ever tried to pound a nail with a pipe wrench? Uh, yeah, in a pinch I have. Yeah, and does yeah. it work? No, it's, it's, it's really, not, not very it's well. A mess. Yeah. You ever try to use a butter knife to screw on a switch plate or something like that? More times than I'd like to come. Yes, I have too. <laughs> it, it doesn't work so well. No, it does not. So one has to know the tools. Yeah. So infinitives, mm-hmm. I have to tell this grammatical coward who tried to call me out. It's unsigned, right? Unsigned. Yes. I even tried to check the um, the origin. It says Metroplex, Michigan, which is the Detroit area. Met- they call it the Metroplex? They call it the Metroplex. So I think I have tracked down the individual, and he's listening, and yeah. I'm glad to report <laughs> there is no actual violence behind it. But there is loads of cowardice. Oh, w- oh without a doubt. Y- you want to have a grammatical debate with me? Yeah. Fine. I'm ready. Let's go. We'll have a throwdown, yeah. as they say. But si- sign, sign your, name. your name. Sign your name. So infinitives are not verbs. They're not. They are nouns. Oh, okay. In English, to run is painful. To eat is relaxing. Those are infinitives that are nouns. Mm. In Greek and Latin, it's the same way. Okay. I can get really upset about this. We could it. we could devote the whole episode. Right, right. But, but like like you know, in Latin, uh, you know, uh, the principal parts, you know, the, the second right. it, the second principal part of a verb that is infinitive the, is the infinitive. So. Yes, it is a verbal noun. Okay, which means that it has verbal qualities, but its core identity yes is a noun. I, I see. Right. Okay. So you are a a podcaster, mm-hmm. a, a guitarist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a father. All these things. Yes. But those are qualities, right? Yes. You have a core identity. Yes. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Chocolate center, maybe, but... Yeah, nougat. <laughs> <laughs> but the infinitive is a noun. Okay. You're, you're, you are, you're standing by this. I mean, this all is the bedrock. Best, all the yeah. best grammars from the 19th century and the early 20th, before people forgot what philology is, clearly state that infinitives are nouns. They're substantives. So not only is this is some grammatical terrorism, it's it's obscene. It's ignorant. Igno- ignorant. Yes. Okay. Oh, some ignoramus <laughs> sent me this. It set me off. Yeah. I had a very bad Thursday, let me say. You, so you've been carrying this around for a yes. few days. Okay. Yes. Okay. It yeah. is akin to saying that the earth is the center of the solar system. Wow. It's like calling celery a fruit. My goodness, this is—it's that bad. It's off the charts. All right, all right. So we just better set it down. Yeah, you're gonna get all worked up. Leave it alone. Yeah. You're out there. You know who you are, and uh, so I'm calling you out. Let's let's have a grammatical throwdown. Mm. Infinitives are nouns. That'd be a good. That'd be a good episode. Yes, quod erat demonstrandum, that which had to be demonstrated. Yes, has now been proven. Ah, there we go. There we go. There's no need for a debate. That's it. The, 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 uh, the problem is has been solved. It would be superfluous. <laughs> All right, Dave, tell us a little bit about what we're talking about tonight. Since, uh, I mean, this, we said Cicero, but it's more specific than it's that. It's been very grammatical thus far. I'm going to have yep. to reorient my gears here. Do you need a moment? To... I probably need a moment of yeah. silence. <laughs> Just to gather yourself. Uh, all right, all right. Errara est humanum. I'm going I'm to set this. I'm you set, better set that off to the off, side. Off to the side. Errara est humanum, right? Yes. To make mistakes is human. Mm-hmm. Errara. Would you call that an infinitive? No, I'd say that's a, that's a, uh, a, uh, verbal, uh, a verbal noun. It's a verbal noun. Yeah, it's a verbally noun. There you go. It's yeah. a verbal noun. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We're going to talk about Cicero. Specifically, we're going to talk about his philosophical treatise, De Natura De Orum. Okay. The nature of the gods, or we might translate it more idiomatically, what's up with the gods? What's up with the gods? Yeah. Yeah. Because remember, we did that four-parter. Yeah. On Epicurus. Yes. And Epicureanism. And we offered lots of what, what, what we thought were better titles. Yeah. The whole shebang. The whole shebang. Is that, uh, yep. Um, the, the whole enchilada. The whole enchilada. Um, That's pretty much all I can I'm remember. Forgetting it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, the, we we didn't think that the nature of things was very good for De Rerum Natura, right. which is the title um, Epicurus, sorry, Lucretius himself gives his lovely poem. Mm-hmm. Cicero um, doesn't give it this title, but it's in the text, De Natura De Orum. And uh, if the universe has a nature, Cicero wants to know, uh, do the gods have a nature? So he asks this question, you know, what is the nature of the gods? Okay. And I think what's up with the gods may sound irreverent, but it isn't because I don't believe in these gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not objects of my worship. Gotcha. So I think yes. it's all right. All right. Now, let me ask you this. So as a Cicero guy, um, where do you think this this uh, this treatise uh, kind of ranks? Not necessarily in, in its its importance, but in terms of how often is this read today? I mean, does anybody pay attention to this? Book? No, I would say almost never. Really? And I would like you to define what it means to be a Cicero guy. Well, I mean, this just is, to let the audience understand what you mean by that. Well, term. this is this we is, got some in talk. This here. is the this is the the uh, <clears throat> the um, uh, persona you wrote your dissertation on. That's correct, right? Um, and I, well, all I mean by Cicero guys, that this is someone you know a lot about, and you also have, you have a great admiration. for. I do. I know, I, particularly as a Latin stylist. Yes, um, you have a great admiration for Cicero. So that's what I mean. Okay. Yeah. A personal affection, actually. Yes. I, I grew to actually love the man, you know, after studying him quite intensely for mm-hmm. a few years. A similar, uh, similar feeling that you have for Apuleius. I suppose I, I don't. Don't you have a kind of affection, admiration for Apuleius? I, I have an affection for the the, uh, the novel that he's associated with, not so much for the man himself. We, we, I think it's we just don't know that much hmm. uh, about him. But um, I think it's very interesting. Is that you know when I, my connection to Cicero is much more um, him as a someone wrapped up in the political turmoil. Yes. Uh, near the end of you know where his life ended, you know, the, in the in the four, 50s and the 40s. That's right. Um, so I think of him more kind of as a as a player in that fascinating uh, drama, mm-hmm. more so than I think of him in terms of, you know, what was what were his uh, what were his philosophical beliefs right. and or as a stylist. Okay. You know? yeah. So where to place him as a philosopher generally, you're yeah. asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where to place De Natura Deorum? Yes, that's exactly what in I'm his oeuvre. In his, oh, we're doing that now? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. I can't. I can't pronounce <laughs> French at all, but I just like to try to goof around. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, as we know, Cicero, born in 106, yep, died in 43. Yes. And uh, the listener can go check out a date which will live in infamy. All right. A relatively early episode, back in uh, December of um, what? 20. 20. Right? Yep. So um, he was forced to retire from politics. With the rise of the first triumvirate, mm-hmm. right? This is prior to the assassination of Julius Caesar, which, of course, is March of 44. Yep. And prior to his own assassination at the hands of Mark Antony, December 7, 43. Yes. Correct. So before this happened, Cicero was forced out of politics temporarily, and it coincided with the death of his daughter, Tullia, yes. right? Whom he calls Tulliola, my little Tully, right? And uh, students are always shocked at how unimaginative Roman fathers are. Right. They name their daughters after themselves. Yes. So Terentius, his daughter is... Terentia. Yeah, and Porcius, like, uh, you know, uh, Portius Cato, Marcus Portius Cato, his daughter is Portia, right? Yes. And Lucius has a daughter, Lucia, so on and so forth. Yeah, it's very predictable. That's right. If you're Julius, you have Julia, mm-hmm. and if you have a second Julia... It's also Julia. It's also Julia. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Big Julia, Julia Mayo, <laughs> and little Julia, Julia Man. Minor. I wouldn't want to be known as Big Julia. I would not either. Yeah. yeah, so... <clears throat> injecting pastry horns. <laughs> In any event, all right. she died and he was forced out of politics. This is a double whammy of sorrow 
for a man who has, you know, however selfishly and vaingloriously given his life to the Republic. Yes. That he loves. Now, now what year, do you know, what year does... Till 45. 45, okay. I can't remember if it's a spring 45 or fall. So it's, it's quite near the end of his life. Oh, yes. Okay. And this was a body blow because he was already divorced from his wife, Terentia. Mm-hmm. His son, also named Marcus Tullius Cicero, was not living up to the father's um, expectations. He was a slouch, a real slouch. He's off in Athens studying philosophy, supposedly under Critippus. I mean, but you got to, I mean, that's a... What a shadow to grow up in. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. I would never want to be uh, Cicero's son. Kind of reminds me of like uh, of Tom Hanks' son, Colivier. I don't know anything about him. Right, he's, but he's got one son that's kind of, uh, you know, he... Overachiever? He, he's got a reputable actor. He's got a okay. career. And he's got one who's just kind of a, uh, kind of a, kind of a schmuck. Oh, really? Yes. And just because kind are, of... Are you, um, you know, exposing ad nauseum to libel here? Uh, I, well, come after me, Tom. Right. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I love Tom Hanks, but I, it's it's fairly well known that he has a son that's kind of a little bit gone off the rails. Really? Right. Okay. It, but I have to think part of that's growing up as Tom Hanks' son. Yeah, who could ever live up to right, that? Right, 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 right. Incredible voice. So Marcus uh, Jr. Marcus Jr. is often in Athens studying philosophy, a story told to us in Deofikiis, one of the other of Cicero's most important... Well, the most important philosophical work, and this is probably second or maybe third, but we'll get to that. Okay. And uh, he's off there supposedly studying, but really just partying. And Cicero writes a three-book screed. You know, it's a philosophical treatise, an epistolary treatise, allegedly addressed to his son, but really addressed to posterity Hmm. about what it means to be a moral and virtuous politician. Wow. Um, Interesting to note about that son, and we may have talked about this in another episode, is that his son survived all the political turmoil and was given a minor post by Augustus Octavian later on. Really? And this seems to have been motivated by guilt. Well, because Augustus Augustus sold his his dad Exactly. Augustus had allied himself with Cicero and said, I'll protect you against Antony. At the last moment, Antony and Octavian cut a deal. Octavian is Augustus. And, of course, the cost was Cicero's head. Yes. When Augustus was later asked about uh, Cicero, what kind of a man was he? You remember Augustus famously said he loved his country. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is a really very nice thing to say, but no kind of commitment on was he in the right or was he in the wrong? Right. Because everybody loved his country, supposedly. It's kind of a a weasel answer. It is a throwaway answer. Yeah. It's polite. But it doesn't commit you to anything substantive. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But out of some sense of guilt, perhaps, Cicero Jr., Marcus Jr., was given a, a post in the imperial administration. And does he, does he kind of disappear from history? Absolutely. Then there? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would have been terrible also, right? Have a famous father that you never really knew, kept you at arm's length, and made incredible expectations of you. And then wrote a whole giant book kind Correct. Of with his cannons aimed at you. Correct. Yeah. And then he dies, and now you just have to kind of wander on your own. Man. Man, Terrible. That's rough. That's rough. Right. That really so rough. Cicero retires from politics, and in an incredible burst of activity, he writes these three major philosophical works. All in this this short time period. Yes. Also the Tusculan Disputations. So the Tusculan Disputations, um, the Latin title, got to be a little bit, you know, something. Something? Disputationes Tusculunae. Right. right? So it, you, you, want, you want something more there? You want something no, better? No, there? no, okay. no. All right. Okay. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to, you know, jab me a little bit for being pedantic. No, 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 no. I'm used to it by now. Pedant. Oh, (laughs) nice. Pedant away, right? Pedant away, yeah. Tusculan Disputations. Dialogues uh, set at his villa. Mm -hmm. 
following along platonic lines about the immortality of the soul. Mm. Interesting, there are no really good, to my knowledge, there are no really excellent translations of the Tusculan Disputation. This is your next project. Well, I've thought about Add it. Add it but, to the list. Yeah. So uh, no, but no, a lot of this has got to be, so, you know, um, talking about the immortality of the soul, it, he's trying to, he's consoling himself mm-hmm. uh, because of the, he, he wants to think of his, his daughter as, yes. as um, surviving uh, metaphysically. That's right. right. Yeah. He also wrote a consolatio to himself. Mm which is a smaller work, um, most of which does not survive. Okay. But some of these works were instrumental in turning Augustine of Hippo away from Manichaeism, his early error, to uh, paganism, right? Uh-huh. He became a full-scale Platonist, uh, Augustine did, and from there he became a Christian yes. later on. Yes, yes, yes. Cicero the, was uh, instrumental in that turn. Okay, okay. This is a subject for a different That'd be a good episode. That sounds like a great episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. So he retires, he writes Tusculan Disputations, at the same time De Natura Deorum, mm-hmm. released about the same time, in three books, and we're going to deal with it uh, for three more episodes. So this one, I, I should say two more. This one and two more episodes will be on the Tusculan Disputations. Then he releases De Finibus Bonorum et Malorum, The Limits of Good and Evil. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a little bit in the uh, Helloari Libris episode. Oh, yeah. The gorging on books. Yes, remember? yes, 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 yes. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the the magnum opus is De Ophiciis. Mm on ethics, what it means to be an ethical person. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, my sense from Cicero was always that um, he, uh, I mean, he was very involved in the political arena, and, you know, he was, he was consul, and, and he was, you know, knee-deep in this kind of stuff, but my, I, also, I always got the, the impression from my understanding of Cicero is that he never really had the stomach for it when it kind of came to kind of the killer instinct. He, he didn't... I mean, would you disagree with that? It just seemed like that that wasn't where, like, when you see him kind of being removed right. from that, and suddenly he explodes as a writer and as right. a thinker, it makes you wonder what, what he could have done mm-hmm. if he hadn't been um, so, you know, tied up in the in the political wranglings of his era. You mean he may have been an even more accomplished thinker? Yes, right. Um, but in, the, you know, that the, just the you know the, the famous detail is that he was left out of the. Of the plot against Caesar. Correct. Right? And it was, um, because he couldn't be trusted, couldn't maybe. Be tr- it's kind of like a finger to the wind kind of uh, guy. Definitely. Right. Well, I think that what you're putting your finger on, so to speak, um, is that he was famously vacillating. Mm-hmm. When uh, mm-hmm. Julius Caesar, and we're going to review a little bit of the you know date that we'll live in infamy, but that's mm-hmm. all right. Yeah. When Caesar crosses the Rubicon and you know comes down into Italy... Uh, Cicero has to decide, do I side with Caesar, who's the obvious future, but whose principles are frightening and dangerous, or do I side with Pompey, who is also an opportunist, but seems to be a little more uh, committed to traditional government as Cicero sees it. Yeah. And he picks reluctantly, he picks the dud. Yeah. He picks Pompey. Pompey. And he, you know, follows him off to Greece with all of the rest of the... Uh, right. Uh, all of the rest of the the Senate and so forth. He doesn't make it all the way to Greece, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And he then he comes, you know, kind of uh, skulking back to Rome, where Caesar pardons him. Yeah, right? that's right. That's and right. so yes, he was famously vacillating. He didn't have that cutthroat instinct. Yeah. And was left out of the triumvirate. Right. Uh, twice. Right. He was always on the periphery. Now, was he on the periphery because he lacks talent, or because he had principles that he was willing to uh, to die for? It's an open question. Hmm. But he definitely did, in the end, die for his principles. Without a doubt. Whether, whether he did that from her- heroism or clumsiness, <laughs> it ended up in the same spot. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, that answers my question. Okay. Yeah. So let's, um, let's get to our opening quote yeah. here. 
which I noticed is it's from your dissertation. It is from my dissertation, okay. which is going on 20 years now. Wow. Okay. Actually, I wrote this 20 years ago, and yeah. I defended it in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was about the same time as you? Yeah, I, think I, dis- I defended it in 2002. 2002, yep. you're ahead of me. All right. Yep. So this is from my dissertation. I've got to get a little bit of mileage out of this because, you know, it hasn't served me that much yet. Okay. <laughs> well, so, let, let's dive in. The title is Oikeosis Ratio and Natura. Okay. Now, uh, oikeosis. Oikeosis. What, okay. What, define so, it, please. Oikeosis is from the Greek word oikia. It's related to it, which means a house. Mm-hmm. And so oikeosis is things that belong to you. Okay. So this is best translated as um, self-appropriation. Right? Okay. So the Stoic idea, which we will deal with more when we get to book two of De Natura Deorum, which is on the Stoics, is that we are all naturally born with a desire for self-preservation. Epicureans were born with a desire for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Stoics say, no, we are born with a desire for self-preservation. We just want to live, right? And so the way you do that is you take to yourself things that further your survival. And this is called oikeosis by okay. the Greek... Stoic philosophers. The Latin term is commendatio, commendatio, to take things to yourself. Okay. So the idea is uh, oikeosis, ratio, and natura. And then, of course, every dissertation needs a colon. A colon. A colon. Yes, yes. Uh, the Stoic challenge to Cicero's academism mm-hmm. in De Finibus and De Natura Deorum. Okay. Now, I don't want to get too kind of far off track here, but um, maybe you could share a little bit about kind of what led you to this topic. You know, how did you kind yeah. of settle on this? Well, once I had chosen Cicero, I was fascinated by Stoicism. Okay. And once I was fascinated by Stoicism, I was curious about the relationship between Cicero's, kind of like what you were saying, your question uh, a moment ago is the genesis of my my topic. Okay. Um, How can a person who is a self-proclaimed academic, which Mm -hmm. was Cicero, now academism, remember, is you only find what's, you follow what's probable. Yes. You don't really know truth from error. You choose what's probable. Yes. And I thought, how can a person with that kind of uh, philosophy have success in Roman politics because hmm. it's a very bad stump speech to get up and say, "My principles, my platform is do whatever seems wisest at the moment." <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Vote for me, and I promise you four years of discriminating difficult decisions. Yes, exactly. That's not a platform. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Exactly. Gotcha. All right. Maybe John F. Kennedy said things like this. <laughs> I don't know. Ask not what your country can do for you. Yeah. That's not really a political program. It's a sentiment. Yes. And I don't see how someone can get elected just... Now, this is how stupid I am, but Mm -hmm. how you can get elected just based on sentiment. Well, of course you can. Yes, right, right, right. That is politics, right? Exactly. It's it's driven by sentiment. But I didn't think it would work for the Romans. Yes. So in in Roman politics, you have to at least give lip service to supporting the most maiorum, mm-hmm. right? Yes. The tradition of the ancestors, pietas, dignitas, mm-hmm. auctoritas, all these tosses, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so how could Cicero do that? Right. And those things have a, a kind of a... They're grounded in some sense. They have they're grounded the content. In, tra- in, in tradition. So right. As, a, as someone from his, his school... Correct. Uh, um, ...to... To kind of seize upon those things would be going against his, Absolutely. his philosophical program. Okay. So uh, compare him to someone like Lucretius, right? Mm-hmm. Lucretius as an Epicurean, how does he um, maneuver in Roman politics? Well, it's by complete absence from Roman politics. Mm. I'm just going to stay out of Roman politics. Yes. And uh, Virgil, similarly, you know, he had lots of skill and talent. He could have been some minor official probably in Augustus's regime. Yeah. But he survives by... Um, 
getting out of politics altogether. Right. Which is really an Epicurean impulse. Right, right, right. So what is Cicero going to do as an academic? Well, so what I tried to argue was that although he claims to be an academic, you really have to follow a kind of Stoicism hmm. if you're going to participate in Roman politics. Because of the three schools of philosophy, Stoicism is the only one close to traditional Roman morality. I see. I see. That's the genesis. So now as we walk through uh, the De Natura Deorum, are we going to kind of see Cicero himself kind of ultimately siding with the It's complicated. School? Okay. Yeah. All and right. the ending of book three is especially interesting. Because he will end up saying something along the lines of, well, I, I don't find um, Kata, the academic, especially persuasive, but then there's also problems with the Stoicism. Okay. Right? So he has great admiration for Stoic um, logic. Mm -hmm. The Stoics were masters of logic, apparently. And he will say that Stoicism has helped him a lot as a public speaker. Okay. Formulating arguments and so forth. Gotcha. But at the end of the day, he says he, he still really wants to be an academic. Hmm. And you kind of think, well, Cicero, you know, you're, you're trying too hard to preserve your independence of thought because all of your politics, they follow along a different track. Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, very interesting. Okay. okay. And so you were, that's, that was the, the central problem, that, that kind of that dichotomy that you were right. exploring in your decision. And right. I managed to drag it out for 230 pages. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad at all. Funny story. Maybe I told this already, but um, I got up to 280 pages okay. thinking it needed to be really long. Yeah. Sent the first draft to my advisor who said, this is way too long. <laughs> you need to cut out 60, 70 pages. I thought, why didn't you tell me this yeah, two months ago? Wasted all this time. I just want to get done at <laughs> yeah. this point. I just want to finish. <laughs> so you had to cut. You had to cut a couple. It chapters was good. I had to cut. Okay. There was a lot of fluff. All right. Yeah, like these episodes. So, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> why don't you read this? You want the op quote? Please do. There is a rift. I'll try to read it in the voice of the author. Oh, oh that'd, be, that'd be nice <laughs> for the audience. Yes, I like that. There is a rift in the philosophical thought of Cicero. A latent divide, noticeable to anyone who reads his works with care. On the one hand, we have the author's express profession of allegiance to the academic school at many important points. On the other side of this rift, however, we find the Cicero of the law courts, Procestio and Procaelio, and of the earlier dialogues, De Republica in particular, presenting arguments based on the immutability of the natural law, that's an important phrase, and the reliability of traditional Roman morality and customs. Mm. Moreover, this concern for traditional and conservative virtues was derived primarily from the Mos Maiorum of Rome that conglomeration of civic and private obligations that had a long history in Roman life. So far, it's reading like a dissertation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, it's very clear, though. Okay. Yeah. This is a non-controversial claim. Nor is there much debate that of the three Hellenistic schools, only Stoicism shared considerable common ground with this tradition. But it seems clear that if we grant that Cicero's engagement in Roman civic life was an attempt, at least, at a deliberate application of his philosophical convictions to the political realm, an immediate discrepancy is noticed between the academic suspension of judgment he formally espoused and the strong concerns for absolute justice and law that seemed to exercise him. Okay. Now, just a just an yeah. immediate thought as reading that. And we were talking about you know, Cicero as kind of a vacillating politician. Right. Um, could he have... Could we see Cicero as someone who just kind of changes masks based on what arena he's in? Yes, and that is the traditional interpretation of him. Okay. When I say traditional... Everyone admired Cicero um, enormously um, until uh, maybe the rediscovery of his letters during the Renaissance by Petrarch or Petrarch. Before that, we didn't know how conniving he was in private. 
Ah, okay. Because his letters weren't in circulation. And then Petrarch uh, discovered them in the 14th century, see, 14th, late 14th, early 15th century, uh, published these, and now we see the inner workings of the man, mm. right? Yeah. So I don't know what kind of a person you are, Winkle. Well, actually, yeah. I do. You're a great guy. Yeah, well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. But if we had to rifle through your Gmail archive, you know, we would find a, a maybe a slightly different image of... Who, who could stand? Jeffrey Thomas Winkle. Probably, right. right. And if you look through my <laughs> Gmail archive, <laughs> whoa, you talk about a rift. Right. Well, I mean, so, but we, with, with the letters, we discover that Cicero's a human being. Yes. Right? And, and if you only have someone's kind of polished work you're just dealing with a with a statue exactly and yes. private moments you know are private when people are watching us we act differently because i mean i think we do right we yeah. we want to live up to our better angels or to the things we publicly profess if we have an integrated personality exactly so we find out that sister was a human being when his um correspondence is rediscovered then also in the 19th century there's a german um, history of Rome named uh, Theodor Mumsen. I think he's German. I'm quite sure. But in any event, um, Cicero's reputation as an original thinker reached an all-time low under Mumsen. Now, where, where's this coming from? Is it just is it just from that the that German school at that particular time, or this one kind of well, building for a my, while? My understanding is that as more and more is learned about the sources on which Cicero relied, primarily Greek philosophy. There's tremendous admiration for the creativity and originality of the Greeks, mm -hmm. right? So after Plato and Aristotle, but before guys like Cicero and Seneca, there are a lot of philosophers of that 300-year gap whose works are mostly lost. Yeah. As some of these are rediscovered, we find out a lot of Cicero's thought is in no way original. Mm. And I so see. then, okay. you know, a desire, a romantic desire, I would say, for originality led to Cicero's reputation, you know, diminishing significantly. Now, a couple of things there, though. Uh, one, um, I certainly we know, say in uh, like poetry and um, and literature, uh, originality uh, as we often kind of think of that is not necessarily prized, right? It's 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 an homage, right? You never saw it to among the ancients. You're saying among the ancients, absolutely, right? right? And so and so I think we need to clarify what we mean by orig uh, by original. You know, no one would think would think to outdo Homer. No. Um, but you might kind of add your own particular color. Well, the goal is to rival Homer, right, by imitating him. Yes. And then maybe, like you say, add a little bit of color, maybe add here and there some touches. Here's, a, yeah. here's an example. Okay. Um, see how this works. So the epic simile in Homer, uh, the world of uh, human society is compared to the world of nature. Yes. So when Hector attacks the ships... The uh, Greeks come stumbling out of the burning ships like wasps from a burning hive. Yes. Right? So what does Virgil do? He says, well, I'll take the Homeric simile and I'll imitate it, but I'll innovate on it by comparing uh, not men to nature, but I'll use something in nature and illustrate it by comparing it to human society. The old switcheroo. Yes. yes. Which is brilliant. <laughs> yes, it right. is really brilliant. So okay. in, in the, uh, you know, somewhere in book one of the Aeneid, he talks about, uh, you know, when the storms are, when the storm is calmed by Neptune and the winds all obey, so there's nature, mm -hmm. it's like when a good orator speaks in public and people stand there uh, with their ears on end. Mm. You know, auribus arectis, I think is the phrase. Mm. So he's taken the basic Homeric simile, but he's tweaking it a little bit. Right, 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 right. That's a different kind of originality than people expect today. Yes, exactly, right. So I, I, just, I wonder if you know, some kind of clarification along those lines might be kind of a, 
a um, a different understanding of originality might be kind of a, a false criticism of, of, of Cicero. Definitely. All right. And then second, um, does Cicero as a philosopher ever claim? I am telling no. you something new. No, he in fact says the precise opposite. Okay, he then. explicitly says the opposite. Okay. He says, you know, all these ideas are Greek. All that I do um, is add words in which I have an abundance, right? Something like equibus abundo, right? I have a huge supply of these. So yes. I get my ideas from the Greeks. I just translate them. He uses the word translate. I translate the ideas into Latin for my countrymen. Right. And I think if, when you consider that, um, you know, how, how much we owe Cicero in, you know, changing Latin from a, um, a kind of a rustic language Definitely. To, to a language that, you know, is, you know, rivals Greek. Oh. Just, uh, to some degree. Then the very, the very, um, fact that he's doing what he's doing by translating things is, is an act of originality in and of itself. It is. It's a huge service to his countrymen. Yes. It's a huge service. And that's really why he did it. Okay. So I think you have opened a rich vein here of discussion. And yes. I'm thankful because, um, the concept of originality, very different in antiquity than today. Yes. Right? So you can think of music also, right? I'm going to get outside my realm, but my understanding is that, you know, the classical composers, a, a guy like Haydn and Mozart, they learned Bach really, really thoroughly before they wrote their own stuff. Right. Their desire was not to start from scratch, mm -hmm. but master the form. So Cicero is just using other people's stuff, and there was a time in the 19th century during the Romantic period where... That was uh, considered really unbecoming. Hmm. Okay. But that, that's changed now. I think so. Okay. Yep. Uh, but it took a long time. It took a long time. So now his, his reputation has been revived. And when I wrote this in you know early 2000s, I was riding the crest of that wave a little bit. Okay. Uh, imagine me riding the crest of a wave with Cicero. Yeah, I'm thinking... Got I'm, that image? I've seen you uh, on, on, a, on a boogie board. <laughs> with some Bahama shorts? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> With Cicero. With Cicero, yeah. And uh, so I was relying on a number of really great scholars. Okay. A.A. A. Long, whom we've talked about before. Yes. Uh, and then another volume that I want to quote from here also uh, by an, uh, a scholar, J.G.F. Powell. Okay. I know you're going to say... What? Why so many initials? Too many initials. Way too many. Yeah, exactly. J.G.F. Right. <laughs> Powell, a fantastic scholar, wrote this Oxford volume in 1994. Okay. Uh, right before we entered grad school, about the time we entered grad school. So it was uh, it was kind of uh, hot off the press. It more was or less hot when, off when the press. you were starting to put this together. That's right. Yep. And uh, the title is simply Cicero the Philosopher. Okay. And in it, he is rehabilitating Cicero's reputation as a thinker. Now, not an original thinker. In the way he's cons in the way we might think today, yes. like, these are brand new ideas. Right. No, but he's synthesizing Greek thought and representing it to his countrymen. Yes, gotcha. it's a, a useful task, yeah. I would say. Yeah, you know, it, it struck me too. I, mean, I might be getting a little bit ahead of things, mm -hmm. but um, so the de uh, de natura deorum, right? It's, it's a dialogue. Yes, yes. So he's clearly, in in, in some ways, um, taking his cue from Plato. Yes, and right? we have to talk about that at some length. Right. But what it struck me as I was as I was kind of looking through Book One, is that in in some ways he's taken kind of the Platonic structure and he's flipped it. You're right. And so it's no longer kind of Socrates. Kind of embarrassing people. Correct. So it doesn't in the dialogue. It's not Cicero showing up and and, and kind of no. making people look foolish. He's almost taking kind of a, he's invited these these three great thinkers um, 
who uh, I think they may be they're over they from, represent the different schools, right? And, right. The, and they're 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 over from Greece because of the the Mithridatic War. Isn't yes. that right? Well, uh, the actual characters in the dialogue are Romans. Oh, okay. But they but you're right. He is drawing from the education he got yes. from these Greek right. These That's Greek it. experts. That's it. That's and it. And then he's just dressing them up, right? Well, right. And so it's a philosophia togata is how it's often called. Okay. Right? Philosophy wearing a toga. Right, right, right. Which is, despite pop culture, not a Greek garment, right? Right, exactly. Not a Greek <laughs> no, article no, no. of clothing. No, 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 it's, no, no. The toga is Roman. Very, right? very Roman. So the Philosophia Togata, right? right? Philosophy wearing a toga. It's Roman now. So someone uh, hearing or, or, or reading this, this dialogue uh, likely would have been familiar with the platonic way of doing things. Definitely. And they would have recognized, oh, this is, I get it, but this is also something kind of new. Yes. And so one argument, a good argument that can be made is Cicero's originality lies, like you were saying, in the way in which he presents familiar material. Yes. And he was so deeply ambitious, too. I mean, just unbelievably ambitious. Not only did he want to be the Roman Demosthenes, Mm -hmm. right, as the great orator, and he probably achieved that. Yeah. He wanted to be the Roman Plato also. Hmm. And nobody thinks that he achieved that, but he comes closer than anybody else. Right, 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 right. He's the closest also ran. That's pretty good. That's not bad. (laughs) Right? You get inducted into the Hall of Fame as, you know, the second best quarterback or whatever. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So one one thing before we go to our uh, commercial um, yes. our commercial break is uh, you could quarrel here with this part I said in, in the opening quote. If we grant that Cicero's engagement in Roman civic life was an attempt at a deliberate application of his philosophical convictions to the political realm, mm-hmm. that's a real potential weakness in my thesis, right? So you have to accept that to, you have to, to go where you're going. That he's actually trying to take things he really believes in. Yep. And put them into practice in politics. Okay. And maybe that's naive. Hmm. Maybe it is just a power game. Hmm. He doesn't really have any convictions. It's just how do I get elected? How do I get the results I want? See, I don't want to believe that. And that I it was just it's... pure ambition? Correct. And yes. I, I don't think it's true, but who knows for sure. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pick this up after the, let's pick this after up. the commercials. This episode of Ad Nauseum is brought to you by Hackett Publishing with offices in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's right. For almost 50 years now. Uh, f- this is the 50th anniversary, Winkle. Oh, my gosh. 2022 is the 50th anniversary of Hackett Publishing. Well, yes. What have they been doing for 50 years? They have been providing uh, uh, readable, affordable, uh, really well-done translations of, of, uh, of course, the classical works we, That's right. uh, we're most interested in, but um, stuff from all uh, uh, corners of the world. I learned just recently that my daughter, who is studying classics, you know, down in Texas, yeah. is using the Stanley Lombardo translation of the Odyssey in one of her classes. Excellent. I'm using it right now in the myth class I'm teaching. The Lombardo translation? Yes. This is the one of, uh, no, the D-Day is the Iliad, Yes, right? this has got the, the um, Earthrise uh, photo from the moon. Ah, yeah. So what is the genius behind that um, presentation, do you think? What is it getting at? It's like the ultimate journey. The ultimate journey is to go to the moon. To, like, it, it's like as far away from home as right. you can get. Right? So it's an evocative, emotional photo mm-hmm. to um, illustrate the content of the Odyssey. Yes. And Hackett does that so well with so right. many different things. I've seen it primarily in their classical works. I'm not sure about okay. the others, but I, I love what they've done with the like, Greek tragedies right. and, and Homer. Well, and they have a large catalog. Yes. Wonderful uh, things on offer. You know, I'm teaching this LLPSI course yes. now, the yep. Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just launched. It's doing well. Here's the tie-in. Yeah. If they sign up for my course, they go to Hackett, 
they get Lingua Latina, Familia Romana, and they get 20% off yes. and free shipping. And free shipping. But that's that's an offer not just for your Latin students. No, no, it's everyone. Everyone gets this, right. right. So if they go to hackitpublishing.com. That's correct. And you, any text you want. You or wander text, down the aisles with your squeaky wheel yeah. grocery cart. Right, right, right. Yeah, with your satchel. Okay. Right? And then you, you drop you, some things in, in there. there. Yeah. And you um you uh, type into the coupon code, I believe it's now it's AN2022. That's correct. 2022, new yep. year. Yep. And you will get the 20% off and yes. the free shipping. Check it out. You can't can't miss. Yes. This episode of Ad Nauseum also brought to you by the Moss Method. Jeff, it's just by Moss Method. We dropped the the, remember? Oh, that's right. Exactly. I'm not, am I going to get an angry postcard from you? You're going to get an angry postcard. <laughs> by Moss Method. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the Moss Method for Greek, there I did it, uh, <laughs> is a program that will take you from neophyte... To erudite. Correct. If you know little or nothing about Greek, uh, I can teach you how to know a lot about Greek. I've taken my 20 years plus of study and teaching, put them into this program, go to mossmethod.com, mm-hmm. check it out, sign up, Yes, and you'll get to interact with me one hour per week during our Moffis hours. Moffis hours. That's right. Excellent. Check it out. This episode of Ad Nauseum is also brought to you by Racial Coffee. Yes, Racial Coffee. Coffee, Portland, Oregon. They mm-hmm. have been bringing a delicious coffee uh, for several years now through their Ratio 8 and Ratio 6 automatic pour-over machines. Yes, these are beautiful machines. Gorgeous. We, each of us, you have one, I have one, you've got the 8, I've got the 6. Yes. Uh, every morning, a reliable, delicious cup of coffee. Well, I missed a couple days, i got to tell you. What? What happened? Well, I, when I was down with, you know, the virus, yes. I, I went off coffee for a couple of days and it was uh, an interesting experience, but I soon returned to coffee. Well, you, you just couldn't make it down the stairs? I, could, I couldn't make it. You mean, why wasn't I brewing coffee? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it kind of takes away your appetite and it changes gotcha. everything. You had that experience, I did. right? I do, yep. But I was so glad to return to not some bilge water stuff you scrape off your mud flap or into a mug, you know? Exactly. Or leave the leave it roasting in some scorch pad. Oh, that's terrible. Exactly. But no, something made by ratio. I'd like to read a quote from the New York Times. And let's face it, if it's in the New York Times, you know it's true. It's got to be true. They say <laughs> ratio eight was designed by a Portland, Oregon company that is to coffee what vintage Marantz was to stereos. I got to admit, I don't know what that means. Did I pronounce that correctly? I, I have never, I don't know Marantz. Marantz, I guess a, it's a good stereo. I'm some barbarian. Yeah, let's return yeah. to the quote. It's by nerds for nerds. Under all that brushed nickel and polished wood is a serious machine. Wow. So there you have it, the New York Times, the gray lady. Right? The gray lady gives it the thumbs up. She does. She yes. says that the ratio eight is a phenomenal coffee machine. Excellent. Yes. And uh, our listeners can benefit. They can. If they go to uh, ratiocoffee.com. R A. ATIOcoffee.com. We'll throw it up here. Mishka will put it on the screen for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can choose the, the six or the eight. And they can get 15% off. And the uh, the coupon code is ANCO. ANCO. And there's more, right? There's more. Yes. They go to ratiocoffee.com slash ANCO. Yes. Right. Being ad nauseum. They can sign up for the giveaway that we're still running. Excellent. Uh, apparently, you folks don't want a free coffee machine. What's wrong with you? I don't understand. Come on now. So listen for the secret code. It's four digits. And uh, go to the site, put it in. You could enter the new year. You're still entering the new year. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're still. We're, yeah. Are we still entering? Yeah, we're three weeks in. You think the days are getting shorter I still? Know. We're so. going backwards. Yeah. Uh, and you could win a free racial six. Yes. So pay attention. 
This episode of Odd Nauseam also brought to you by the Gold River Trading Company. Which yes, is brand new sponsor. Excellent. Very exciting. Yes. And they um, they deal in tea. Premium tea. Premium tea. Now, we have so many loyal listeners, so many uh, folks sending us emails, interacting, occasional hate mail. Yeah. It's yeah, a lot of fun. It. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but not everybody's a coffee drinker. Right? Uh, it's hard to believe. but I know. Yeah. So we are delighted to say that we now offer something for you tea folks out there, too. Excellent. So what what's this all about, this Gold River Trading Company? Well, Gold River Trading Company is a brand new company that wants to offer um, American consumers mm-hmm. um, a wonderful, delicious premium tea. Gotcha. And I think a part of their deal is that um, sometimes tea is not is not seen as, as particularly American. That's right. In yeah. America, tea is occasionally seen as something that other people drink. Right. You know, it's kind of uh, maybe sort of a parlor British kind of thing. Too Britishy. Yeah. Are, um, are, you, are you familiar? Have you watched this this uh, this very popular show, Ted Lasso? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, that that's a, a running gag in this. He's a lot a, of drinking tea. Well, he's a, he's an American coaching soccer in England. Okay. And of course, everywhere he goes, people are offering him tea, oh, and yeah. he doesn't like it because he's a coffee drinking American. Right, right. Right. Well, when I first visited England, jolly old England. Yes. And it was tea time. Uh, inevitably, somebody would say, "I'll be mother." What? Yeah, and I, what is that? What does that even mean? It means that, uh, they probably don't say it anymore because it's not woke, but at the time, 20 yeah. years ago, they said, I'll be mother. It meant I'll be the one who serves the tea and puts the milk and sugar out for you. Gotcha. So oh. I was really puzzled by that. And as an, a coffee drinking American, I was a little put off. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll be, I'm not going to be mother. mother. What are you talking about? <laughs> But I have learned to enjoy a delicious cup of tea. Yes. And that's provided by the good folks at Gold River Trading Company. Right. So they offer a chamomile. They do. A green tea. Yes. A- they have a, an American breakfast tea. Yes. Uh, 1776 American breakfast and the gunpowder green. Well, that sounds dangerous. Well, it's delicious. Yeah. And uh, you've seen the packaging, right? Oh, I, I love the packaging. They come in these uh, little tiny silos yes. of uh, sealed goodness. Yeah. Right? And inside are these pyramidal... Yes, exactly. Pyramid shaped. Yes, pyramidal. Yes. You're going to dumb it down for the audience, <laughs> yeah, well, Michael? I'm, well, I, you might have slurred a little bit. All right. Yeah. Uh, p- these pyramidal uh, sachets. Sachets? Sachets. Yeah, I think that's okay. right. Yeah. Uh, which contain not just the off scourings of some kind of dust that you put together from twigs in your yard, <laughs> premium tea <tiki> leaves. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I mean, we just, I mean, and, uh, we previously talked about things scraped from mud flaps, okay. I believe, right? So, yeah. <laughs> that's the theme. Yeah. Most tea bags use leftover tea dust and fannings. Oh, that's really? That's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, yeah. But not, not Gold River. No, no. That limits the flavor and the benefit of the tea. Gold River Trading Company uses whole leaf tea, as you can see from looking at the sachets. Sounds great. So, how can our listeners benefit? Okay. So, they need to go to the website. And the website is goldriverco.com. That's correct. Gold, uh, we hope you can spell that, riverco, yep. as in, you know, company, dot com. Dot com. And the coupon code? Well, they got to enter a coupon code when yep. they have selected their delicious tea items. And yes. the coupon code is A-N-T-E-A. So ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. T-E-A. Yeah. T-E-A. T-E-A. Just like you'd spell tea. Yes. So they're going to up the ante. Oh. You like that? Actually, I do like that. Do you yeah, like that? Well done. Well okay. done. Yeah. So check it out. You're going to love the tea. It's delicious. It has, uh, it's, it's really some excellent product. Very excited to welcome Gold River. And finally, this episode is brought to you by a brand new Latin program that I'm offering. 
Excellent. Tell us about it. Well, this is through Latin Per Diem, the website. This is the Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata, right? Your favorite Latin textbook. My absolute favorite textbook published by Hackett. So in this course, uh, for $199, you can get a large slate of uh, instructional videos where I am teaching a live audience. I am teaching them um, through this book, Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata. You get audio exercises. You get me grading your exercises. You learn some Latin composition. We're running the beta right now. The beta filled up right away. Fantastic. And uh, soon we'll be opening it up for a broader audience. So you want to go to latinperdm.com slash LLPSI and check out the offering so that very soon you can sign up. And if you really like this episode on Cicero and De Natura De Orum, and you already know some Latin, uh, you can um, watch me teaching others this high-level master class in Latin based on Cicero's De Natura Deorum. The very thing we're talking about today. That's correct. You Excellent. can. It's available for purchase. Uh, a lot of people have signed up, seem to be really enjoying it. So after the class meets, I send the link, and then other students, actually from a broad range of... Uh, you know, different kinds of individuals are watching and uh, following along in their Latin textbook, their Cicero, and uh, gaining some real good knowledge of this author. Sounds fantastic. All right, Dave, so as we get back into this, we should probably get around to the De Natura Deorum itself, right? Do you think we haven't been there? Well, we've, we've been talking a lot of, I think, key, interesting uh, stuff, I mean, foundational stuff, um, but we did promise we were going to we talk did. about this particular work. Exactly. All right, so where, where should we start here? You want to okay. talk a bit about maybe like the, the structure of the work? Well, or? I want to pause just a, a minute and talk about Cicero's work in philosophy, which ties into the structure very closely. Okay. So it is not a coincidence that this work has three books. It has three books because there are three leading schools of Hellenistic philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Hellenistic philosophy is everything basically from the death of Aristotle, uh, which is one year after the death of Alexander the Great, right. 322. Yes. Death of Aristotle down to Augustus. That's the Hellenistic era. Right. Like Peter Green's famous um, Alexander to Actium. Yes. Right? That, yes, that yes. volume. That's the Hellenistic era. So the three schools are all the heirs of Plato, uh, Epicureans, Stoics, Academics. Okay. Those are the three schools. So we've got three books also in De Natura Deorum. Book one is, what do the Epicureans think about the gods? Now, we're going to go a little bit light on book one, as we already said, because we've covered Epicureanism, you know, quite extensively in those previous episodes. Yes. Book two is, what do the Stoics think about the gods? Book three is, what do the academics think about the gods? Okay. So the structure is really conducive to instruction, I would say. You know, Cicero is a master teacher. He has in uh, his mind's eye always, how do I get this complicated Greek material to uh, a Roman audience that really isn't all that interested in philosophy? Right. You know, they're a practical-minded people. Right. Now, as I understand it, um, so he's writing this in the the 40s. That's right. Near the end of his life. Right. Um, But he's basing it on... Uh, a discussion that he did have with these three guys about 30 years before? Yes, about, yes, right? that's right, around 79, okay. 78. Okay. So just like the Platonic Dialogues, there is both an actual date of composition, right, a, yeah. a date of composition, and then there's, you, you might call a literary date, right? So when, um, when Socrates, you know, is debating about politics and ethics and so forth, uh, this is all prior to 399. Yes, When of he was uh, assassinated, right, executed. Yep. But... Um, but Plato, right, is writing these as, as much as 20 to 30 years after, exactly. perhaps. He right. could have been writing them in the 380s, 370s, even 360s. It's possible. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, similarly, Cicero has the historical date, um, and he's got the, you know, the literary date. Right, right. So um, in terms of kind of understanding this work as, the uh, same thing with Plato, you know, didn't, these were these things literally said right right um, it's it, not really the point it's not really the point right, right? but i right. think it's important to, uh, to note this because it, it it presents itself as as um like you are there right, right? yes exactly and uh, cicero was not a dilettante philosophically you know he was a serious student so although uh, although he was an orator a lawyer um Philosophy was his avocation mm-hmm. all, all lifelong. And I guess that's what endears him to me as well, right? I'm not really a professional philosopher, but I like the idea that you can be really good at one thing, um, hopefully, and, mm-hmm. and you can have another interest that you pursue avidly right. just because you like it. Right, and, right, right. And that's Cicero. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd like to read from the Rackham introduction. So, okay. So Rackham is the Loeb edition. It's in the public domain. Uh, and it's in the introduction. It's uh, Roman numeral page 10. He says, Cicero studied philosophy in his youth under the heads of all the three leading schools, for Philo of the Academy, Diodotus the Stoic, and Phaedrus the Epicurean all came to Rome to escape the disturbances of the Mithridatic War. Yes. So this is uh, late 80s, 80s, early 70s. Gotcha, yes. Turmoil in Athens. There was a migration of philosophers from Athens to Rome. Yes. Right? Very similar thing happened during the Renaissance, actually. It launched the Renaissance when Constantinople fell. Uh, in 415, 1453, all these Greeks come to Italy. Right. So uh, history repeats itself. Uh, it, uh, Rackham says, Cicero gave two more years to study in his maturity. At the age of 27, he withdrew for a time from public life, spent six months at Athens studying philosophy under the Epicureans, Phaedrus and Zeno, the academic Antiochus, and then he passed on to Rhodes for rhetoric. In Rhodes, he met Posidonius, the leading Stoic. Uh, as Diodotus had stayed in Rome as a guest at Cicero's house and resided there till his death. When Cicero went home and resumed his public career, he still continued his studies in his intervals of leisure, as appears from many passages in his letters. And when under the triumvirate his career flagged, he turned more and more to letters, that is, to literature. So he wrote De Republica, modeled after Plato's Republic, Mm -hmm. and he wrote The Laws, De Legibus, also modeled after Plato's laws. Yes, 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 yes. So I, I, uh, a Renaissance man. Definitely. Yeah. And okay, so maybe his thought is an original. Maybe he's just channel, uh, channeling Greek philosophy. Uh, right. He's doing a service to his countrymen. Right. Now, you, you, you used the metaphor of music a while back. Then, I tried. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think that, I think that's very apt in that, uh, I think, you know, uh, language and, and music have um, you know, uh, a deep correlation in that when you hear like a work of Mozart, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take a few bars to know that's Mozart. That's him. Yeah, but you, it, there's an element, of course, that you can't put your finger on. Right. Right. And so I think that the same thing with 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 um, Cicero's style. Right. And, and you know, I imagine hearing him speak. There's there's probably that there's that that kind of mystical thing you can't quite put your finger on. Yes. But you you hear it, you read it, you say that's Cicero. It's genius. It's genius. Absolutely. Right. You can't quantify that. No. And so you know, bring it back around to that question of originality. That's also I, I think a part of it as well. That that those intangibles. Definitely. Yes. We should say something about the data composition. Okay. Right. Because our listeners are serious students of the classics. Yes, they are. A little bit of throwaway flattery there. Nice. But it's true. It's, it's true. true. Of course, okay. it's true. Okay. So Rackham says, in the preface to uh, Divination, another Cicero's work, 
Cicero gives an account of his philosophical authorship. We read there, he finished his three books of De Natura Deorum, What's Up With the Gods, after he had published his Tusculan Disputations, and that then, to complete his treatment of the subject, he began on divination, intending to add a treatise on fate. The preface quoted was written soon after Caesar's death, but the work itself um, came before it, as was De Natura Deorum. So then we have a lot of, uh, here I'm not quoting, but we have a lot of references in Cicero's letters that help us secure when he wrote these different philosophical works. So yeah. it's a real gold mine that his letters survive, because otherwise we wouldn't know really where to put these. Yes. Yep. Hey, before we, yes. before we uh, continue, we should probably drop that secret code. Oh, yeah, let's get that code in there. So uh, for the ratio contest, the, the, the code is 6567. Should we drop our voices conspiratorially? Yes. 6567. There, I hope they heard that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have more. We want to talk more about the structure. Maybe should we do some Latin? Or I think we're I think we're almost ready for some Latin. But I got one really juicy quote here from Rackham. Okay. So this is he says in a letter to Atticus. And I'm quoting Rackham here, the introduction to the Loeb edition. In a letter to Atticus, a little later, uh, occur the words from Cicero, quote, "Before dawn, as I was writing against the Epicureans." Isn't that interesting? Don't you ever get up before dawn to write against the Epicureans? It's never happened to me once. Never? No. I've, I've woken up before dawn to go down to get some like uh, cold pizza. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but never to write against the Epicureans. Hey, did you see that meme I sent you this week? Which, uh, remind me. So uh, this is uh, Goya. Um, oh, yes. You've got to describe that if people haven't seen it. This right. is it's Goya's painting of what? Um, uh, the, the, it's the it's, it's, uh, Cronus, Sat- Cronus eating his children. Yes, Saturn, Saturn, Saturn eating, or Cronus eating his, his children. children. Yes. It's so disturbing. It's a, it's a gruesome painting. Right. But this hilarious <laughs> meme has forever drawn the poison from it for me. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's I believe it's a, it's a young woman, yes, right? It's a, it's a university student, yes. right? And she's in the same pose, but instead of she's biting in the off, same pose as Saturn. Of, instead of biting the head off a... Uh, a, a a god. Right. She's uh, she's eating pizza. She's eating a piece pizza, of leftover pizza. pizza. <laughs> and the the energy and the composition and the style. Yeah. It's really funny. It is very funny. It's what do people do before memes? I, who knows? But the, the the her pose in that it's so dead on. Yeah. I I wonder if it was if she did that on purpose. She had to have. I thought it was maybe a candid. No, <laughs> it just happened to. Look. No, it's way too close. It cannot be a candid. But the look in her eyes and the the you know the appetite she has for that old pizza. That yeah. They, it's just it's spot on. As maybe, they say. maybe Mishka could throw that up on the screen. Oh, that's really <laughs> funny. It's a good one. Yeah. Really funny. So he's up before dawn, writing against the Epicureans. Yeah. So yeah. right, you set your alarm clock. I don't know. What, 4.50, 5.15? Yeah. I got to get up and I got to din the Epicureans because they're all washed up when it comes to the gods. No, I got to think. I don't think he set the alarm clock. I think he was so, he was so, he was so riled up. He was juiced. Tossing and turning. He says, I got to get up. I got to get up. I yep. got to make it clear. I got to light a lamp. Exactly. Yep. If you adopt the Epicurean position on the gods, everything's going to fall apart. He uses this phrase, magna confusio, hmm. perturbatio vitae. The disruption of life and, uh, you know, sizable amount of, um, how shall we translate Confucio? I can't say confusion. No. You know, a turmoil of life and a sizable amount of angst. There yeah, we go. There we go. Is nice. going to ensue. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it was bothering him so much, he had to get it down. That's right. Yeah. 
Probably skipped his coffee or his tea. <laughs> or his, or his tea. tea. <laughs> right, right, right. So we're ready for some Latin. Let's we've, do it. We've laid out the structure, I yes. think, uh, of the work pretty well. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy in book one uh, is going to be um, a poor Epicurean named Valeus. Is he going to get flayed? He is going to get flayed. Okay. Yep. And it's going to be mostly the Stoic, uh, Balbus, who's going to come back at him in book two. And then we get uh, in book three, Kata. Who's the academic? He's the academic. Okay. And uh, many scholars say that Kata is Cicero's most interesting character. Okay. And I agree with that. All right. He's a good stylist. You ready for some Latin? Let's do it. Yes. All right. Now, this is a, a brilliant first sentence. It's long and beautiful. Cum multi resin philosophia nequaquam satis adhuc explicatae sint, tum per difficilis brute, quod tu minime ignoras, et per obscura quaestio est de natura deorum. Quae et ad cognitionem animi pocerdum est, et ad moderandum religionem necessaria. All right. Let, and you're going to give us Rackham's translation. Sure. Right? Sorry. Rackham and Stackham. Here Rackham and Stackham. So, there are a number of branches of philosophy that have not as yet been by any means adequately explored. Uh, but the inquiry into the nature of the gods, so this is where we, the title of De comes, Natura Deorum comes from, right? Yeah, they heard it. Which is both highly interesting in relation to the theory of the soul and fundamenta fundamentally important for the regulation of religion, um, is one of special difficulty and obscurity, uh, as you, Brutus, are well aware. That's correct. All right. So this is dedicated to Brutus. The Brutus? The Brutus, the Tyrannicide. The, uh, the, the et tu. That's the same one, okay. the Kaisutechnon, the same guy. All right. So we've got just some beautiful Latin prose here with the per difficilis. It's really hard, this question, this one that deals with the gods. Uh, even though it is necessaria, he says, right, essential uh, to understanding the soul and to practicing religion. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So in order to get self-knowledge and to lead an ethical life, according to Cicero, yeah. you've got to know what the gods are, right. what's up with the gods. Right. Now, I wonder, you know, we were talking about you know, this as uh, part of a, um, you know, a consolation after the death of his daughter. Mm -hmm. I wonder if also part of this is, you know, this is also an era where um, you know, Julius Caesar is is being right. is uh, is being apotheosized, right? Is he also almost almost? Right. But that's in the it's in the water, it's in the air. And I wonder if that's also kind of a part of, of kind of he wanted to explore this question because um, the whole kind of notion of religion, who are the gods and uh, can human beings be gods is kind of out there. Yeah. That's I think a way that's, of kind of bringing it back down to earth. I don't I know. I think that's fair. I yeah. think the general reading of late Republic intellectual feeling about um, religion is that most of these men were imposters. Hmm. That religion was just something that you did. Uh, in order to get by in the state. Yeah. Because the people expected you to have a certain amount of piety. Right. After all, Julius Caesar was the Pontifex Maximus at one point. Right. right? He belonged to the College of Priests and performed the sacrifices and go through all that. But did they really believe it? Right. In some ways, it seems like a modern question that wouldn't have occurred to them so much. Yeah, maybe maybe so. There's a great scene in, um, in HBO's uh, series Rome. Mm -hmm. you, you ever see that one? I haven't seen a full episode. Yeah, there is a um, there's a scene where Julius Caesar arrives in Egypt, and he's about to meet Cleopatra, and he's being welcomed by the um, the, the local uh, magistrates, and it's it's full of kind of pomp and circumstance, but also lots of this kind of archaic Egyptian ritual. Hmm. And there's a close up on the guy's guy's face who plays Caesar, and he's just rolling his eyes. He just, it, <laughs> it, 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 the way that Caesar is presented that is someone who just sees this is all just kind of empty. Falderall. Right. Right. And so I wonder if that... So of, he's entirely skeptical. Entirely. He just thinks it's all <laughs> nonsense, but he also recognized, well, I got to play this game. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. 
So one other point I'd really like to touch on here from the proemium, okay, uh, before we start to look to wrap this up, uh, is really on the first page. So I'm going to read a little bit of the Latin, mm-hmm. and then we're going to dissect the three different kinds of positions that Cicero gives on the question of the gods. Okay. So he says, Wellet in hoc quaestione plerique, quod maxime wary simile est, et quo omnes sese duce natura venimus, deus esse dixerunt. Dubitar esse protagoras, nullos esse omnino diagoras melius, et Theodorus Cyrenaicus putaverunt. Okay, all right. So can you read that for yes. us? So that translates. As regards the present subject, for example, most thinkers have affirmed that the gods exist. And this is the most uh, probable view, and the one to which we are all led by nature's guidance. But Protagoras declared himself uncertain, and Diagoras of Milos and Theodorus of Cyrene held that there are no gods at all. Excellent. Right. right. So here, Cicero very, very clearly, and I think it is the basis of the rest of the work, so it's a good place to, you know, stick a pin, you might say. Uh, he lays out the three different possibilities on the existence of the gods. He says, the majority of people, plerique, uh, have said that the gods exist. Deus esse dixerunt. Yes, there are gods. He says, if they're following what is vera simile, what is closest to the truth, has the closest appearance of truth. And he says, um, if they go, if we reach where nature leads us. Hmm. So there's a really interesting ablative absolute here, a duca natura, with nature as our guide. So this was kind of the, the jumping off point for most of my thinking on this topic is Cicero believes in a kind of natural law. Nature is benevolent. If nature's guiding you, you're going to end up at the position that the gods exist. So this is a bedrock principle of natural law and what came to be called natural theology. Is this a similar thing to what um, I'm thinking about a passage from Paul in Romans where he says, Absolutely. says n- nobody, nobody really has an excuse because nature yes. itself kind of speaks of the so. existence of God. Absolutely. Okay. Romans 1 and in Romans 2 as well. And so for that reason, this is Cicero's great, uh, perhaps, I don't know, circumstance, accidental um, consonance with the Christian faith is ah, okay. that there yeah. is a kind of natural law argument, a very clear one, right? Nature as guide, duke natura. Yeah. So that's the first group, gods exist. The yeah. second group is Protagoras. He said that dubitara say, yeah, I don't really know, right? I'm uncertain. He's our man is the measure of all things guy, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. After yeah. whom uh, Plato wrote, you know, uh, on whom Plato wrote a dialogue. And yes. It's, it's named the Protagoras. Yep. The third position is that held by these guys who are outliers, Diagoras of uh, Melius and Theodore of uh, Cyrene, mm-hmm. right? Who said that, uh-uh. No gods. Nullos esse omnino. They don't exist at all. Mm. So those are the three positions. Yes, they exist probably. I'm not sure. Not sure. And uh, no chance. Okay. Right. So that's what we're going to examine. Theists, uh, agnostics, and uh, atheists. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, this is a setup for some great stuff, I think. It is, for the next two episodes. That's right, but we got to wrap it up. We do indeed. Up against the clock. We, we went kind of far afield this week, didn't we? We did, but I don't think we know. I mean, I think it was necessary, right? Okay. I think maybe our listeners were expecting, you know, from the title that we're going to dive right into these things. But I think a lot oh, of no. that, that background and the comparisons and the setup was absolutely necessary. All right, yep. so we got to start looking to uh, the next episode, yep. which will be number 71. Uh, 72. 72, yes. Oh, yes. Yep. And we have some people to thank, don't we? We do. As always, we thank uh, Mishka 
our, our wonderful engineer puts this all together. Adds uh, the sound in, the graphics, producing the video edition, which is on the YouTubes. Yes, check out the YouTubes. And yeah. uh, should we say in a kind of pleading fashion, please go to the YouTubes and go subscribe. To the I, don't think we, I don't think we need to plead yet. Okay. We can, we can just gentle, pr- gently prod at this I'll point. I'll do some yeah. prodding, no pleading. Yep. Uh, thanks to also to uh, Agricola. Agricola in the studio with us this evening. On site, doing all the video. and Yeah, and, some uh, excellent work. Yes. Uh, uh, what about that great music? Well, the intro music is by screaming guitarist Mr. Scott Van Zen. Love it. Yep. And uh, someday I'm going to throw up a picture of me and Scott. Uh, I got a, a photo with him, snapped a photo with him in Las Vegas. Just hanging out? The... No, not exactly. No, he just no. said, hey, let's get a photo. Oh, gotcha. Right. All right. right and right. He, he was very gracious. Right. So uh, combines a kind of uh, Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Really soulful player. Great stuff. And then also music from uh, vocal coach extraordinaire. Yeah. That's Ken Tamplin. He's doing this series now. I mean, if you, you're into pop and rock music, which I know you are, I and I like it too. He's uh, comparing singers now and then. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So he's done some of the greats. You know, this is how they used to sound. Oh, sounds, this sounds but, uh, potentially depressing. It is pretty brutal because, <laughs> right. you know, if you don't keep your chops up, it's like studying Latin. You, you got to keep fresh. You're going to lose it. That's so, right. Okay. Well, um, uh, I was thinking we should do something like that, right? But, Podcast now and then, <laughs> laugh at old episodes of ourselves. Oh boy! Well, are we there yet? I no, mean, at no, least no. Maybe after episode 100. Time for a cheesy clip show. Right. But listeners, um, we'd we'd uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to shout out, let us know. Um, if you got ideas for the show, uh, you can write to uh, Dave at Dave at adnauseum.com. Don't forget the V or, or t- Jeff. Yes, at adnauseum.com. Please don't forget the V, because yes. if you spell it wrong and we you, won't look get a, it. you look around on the internet, you're going to go to some dark places. Yeah, yeah, yeah be careful, So please. just remember the V. Yes. <clears throat> All right. And I think I got the gustatory parting shots now. We're going to tell them what's on f- for next week, oh, right? We, we, got part, any, we got anything else to cover here? No, part two. Part two, part two of De Natur Deorum yes. on what's up with the gods. Exactly. We're going to talk about the Stoics. Okay. Yes. And you, Jeff, you do have the gustatory... Oh, 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 one more thing. Uh-oh. You can now rate a podcast on Spotify. You can. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, please, you know, give us a couple stars or however many you want to. Yes, that, that helps us, our visibility and, That's and, right. and makes us feel good. It does. Yes. All right, let's have it. All right, this comes from a one sister, Noella, who is also known as the Cheese Nun. No way. I have no idea what this means. The uh, Cheese Nun. And she says, uh, cheese is all about the dark side of life. What does that mean? I have no idea, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I was cheesy about the... I like it, too. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.